And back then, cell phones were, were you know, when I was patrol, we had bag phones, and you can Google that. Mm-hmm. And, and they weren't so <laughs> readily. That long. Yeah. yeah. In fact, we got in uh, offshoot real quick. Uh, we kind of got in trouble because you would go to Radio Shack, and that's another entity you can Google. Uh, <laughs> and you would buy the antennas, and you put them up behind the light bar. Well, the fast you drove, it vibrated, and it would come down, and we broke a couple windows, so we couldn't do those anymore. Uh, so you, you put it up, up behind a light bar, and then you to run it to your bag phone, and you could have this really cool center console phone and the whole... Welcome to GPPD Podcast. I'm your host, Nate. I'm a lateral transfer officer, and I'm currently assigned to the Investigations Bureau. And I'm your co-host, KD. I'm also a lateral officer, and I'm assigned to the Crime Prevention Unit. We're always looking for great men and women for the police department, but also we need dispatchers, animal control, code enforcement officers, and detention officers. So if you know anybody interested, please, please send them to grandprairiepolice.org. Get that information filled out so that you can apply. Don't forget to find us on social media. We have Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. And most importantly, find us on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe, activate notifications, leave us a five-star review. Today, you will hear from police officers, their lives, and their stories. The accounts may be mature in nature, and mature language may be used. Listener discretion is advised. All right. Welcome back to GPPD Podcast. Um I'm your host, KD, and I got my boy Nate here with me. Um, today, we're going to talk to a veteran officer. I have my friend in the studio with this, JJ. Welcome. Thank you, sir. How are you? Uh, veteran is so polite. Yeah, isn't it? I'm going to be polite today, I think. We'll see. That's why you, that's why you wanted to start, because you knew I was going to call him old. Yeah. 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 <laughs> this will go off the rails pretty quick. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It won't take us long, I promise. Um, all right, JJ, uh, let's just start from the beginning. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how long you've been on. So, uh, originally, I was born and raised in Miami, Florida. Mm, how did you know that? Get to Texas. See, and that's what the oral review board asked me. They didn't, <laughs> uh, they didn't think I was actually coming. Right. They said, who would leave Miami, Florida for Grand Prairie, Texas? Right. And uh, now it was, uh, so I was born and raised in, in, in Miami, Florida, and uh, went off to college in, in Kansas, in Don City, Kansas, to a small small college to play football. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, I met uh, a guy who was a Grand Prairie, from Grand Prairie, born and raised. Mm-hmm. We got to be friends, and um, I grew up relatively... Poor is not a good phrase, just different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't afford to travel back to Miami back and forth from college. So right. for Thanksgiving, except for basically summer and Christmas. So Thanksgivings and, and things like that, long breaks. Uh, Thanksgiving, I'd come here to uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area, mm-hmm. Grand Prairie, and got to know the area and, and kind of liked it. And when I graduated in 89, uh, Miami was a very different place. So, uh, to give you a little bit of perspective, um, there's a, a, and now I think there's a book out, but the Miami rivers cop river cops were a thing. So back in the eighties, when I was growing seventies and eighties, when I was growing up, the cocaine had exploded in Miami. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, back in, uh, I was, when I was a little kid, we lived just off I 95 and the, on the edge of Liberty city and, and we had the Liberty city riots. So I grew up and there was a, during a time of riots and, um, based off of Metro Day police officers had, uh, but the first before Rodney King had um, got into a chase, got on a motorcycle, 
whether or not he was intoxicated is debatable, but he ran from the police, and when they caught him, they, uh, you know, roughed him up a little bit with flashlights, and he ended up passing away. Mm-hmm. He ended up dying, and so those officers were acquitted, and it sparked off the riots. Right. And uh, McDuffie was his name. Two years later, um, there was a kid in a game room who had a gun on him, and he was pushing dope, was the accusation. When the officers contacted him, they say he went for the gun, the officer shot him, and and he ended up dying, mm-hmm. which sparked off the 82 riots. And I don't remember that kid's, I think he's Neville something. But anyway, I don't remember the, the name. So anyway, so mm-hmm. that's the era of the, in Miami where I kind of grew up. Mm-hmm. And I came quickly came from a broken home. And so my mom moved us. She oh. saw the writing. So we moved south Miami area okay. down more towards Homestead. And so in Homestead for the later years of my high school years, my beginning high school and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so uh, from there, then I went to Kansas and I came, and came here. So when I graduated, I went back to, to test for Metro-Dade. Okay. And back then it was Metro-Dade. Now it's Miami-Dade Police Department. Mm-hmm. Was that something you knew you wanted to do? Yeah. All along? Or? Well, it was. And, and I'll tell you the influence uh, I had. So back then when uh, my mom was a nurse and her best friend is a nurse and her, her husband was a, a lieutenant in Miami Beach Police Department. Okay. So you called him aunt and uncle. Yeah. They were just friends of the family. Oh, you yeah. did everything with them. And you called him aunt and uncle. So whenever we would be, have an opportunity, mom was off and we would go down to the beach, down to Miami Beach. There's a couple times he'd pull up, he'd throw us in a squad car, and we'd be going down the beach in a squad car with the lights on. Man, I thought I was king of the hill. Man, this, was, <laughs> this is awesome. And uh, talking to my uncle, he, uh, back in, and I don't know his time frame, he was uh, actually undercover in uh, outlaw motorcycle gangs. And he had pictures, oh, and he did that. And then he rode a, 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 a motorcycle. He was a motorcycle officer. Was, that would have been back in the days where they did like legit, like long-standing undercover. Mm-hmm. Yes, and there's pictures of him that that are that he looks like an outlaw biker. It is Man. impressive. Yeah, and he and he carried a bandolero with a machete. That was he had a machete slung over him, and he God. had he had gun, <laughs> boot guns, and I mean he was he was deep undercover. Jeez. Yeah, and uh, he he got numerous awards for. Um, in the Miami area for, for breaking up the motorcycle gang and, and, yeah. and getting convictions and things like that. But they went deep, deep undercover. That's crazy. And so he ended up promoting in, in the Miami Beach Police Department, but he was kind of an influence on me um, back then as a kid. And so uh, I just thought it was cool. I thought, man, those lights, he kicked the siren on and yeah. there was no bigger, Yeah, you know, you're a young kid and it's like, man, there is no bigger adrenaline rush than, you know, Driving down the beach in a squad car running code, man, that was so cool. <laughs> Baywatch, baby. Yeah. So, uh, but, uh, so that was kind of an early influence. Yeah. And, um, and then there was another time I had a contact with a Metro Dade officer who was really cool. And, uh, so I said, you know, this is, this is, this is a kind of neat. This is what I really want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And so I went that criminal justice path That's in college ask, yeah. and, uh, really enjoyed it, really got, you know, entrenched in it. And, um, so that's, I knew graduating college, what I wanted to do was a uh, police work. And so originally, um, you called I, it, you said you were going to hit it. I told you I was going <laughs> to hit this month. So, um, but anyway, I talk with my hands. So I knew getting out. So I went back and I applied for the, for the Metro Day police department. And mm-hmm. I sat in a big auditorium and 
there had to be several hundred I, up towards probably about 600 people. Dang. And, uh, back then it was very popular. It was the route to go because you, you know, just like now you had, they had the pensions, they had yeah. right. you know, pay wasn't great, but you had job security. Yeah. Right. And so you got to realize back in the eighties with the cocaine cowboys and everything else that was going on in Miami, you had the yeah. Mariel boat lift also. So you had a lot of Fidel opened his prisons Castro okay. opened his prisons. You had a lot of, we were on the beach one time and a, a boatload of Cubans were, came floating up. Right. And the U S coast guard came and they psh, scooped them up and off they went. So, yeah. um, you know, back in those days, uh, you had, um, all that going on in the city of Miami and they were hiring like crazy and it was basically job security. So I went and I took the test and, uh, uh, an African-American male, Two Hispanic females walked around the auditorium. You went down, and back then it was Scantron. The click, 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 click. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And so we're all sitting there, and they pulled all the white males out of the audience and took us outside. And they said, thanks for applying for the Metro Day Police Department. We're just not hiring white males. And so. What? What? <laughs> Wait, time out. Time out. What year was this? It's 89. <laughs> and I said, well, why did you waste my time? So, well, we had to let you take the test. Right. But we're just not hiring white people. Yeah. And I'm like. No, you're messing with me. Right. He's like, no, no, seriously. Unless you have some kind of political contact because there are federal mandates after the Miami River cops uh, gotcha. scenario. And I'll, I'll touch on that if you want. I don't want to go too long. But uh, because that scenario, they they were under federal mandate to go back and look at their hiring process. Right. Oh. Because with the Mario boat lift and the explosion of the uh, drugs and stuff in Miami, the city doubled in size. Okay. And the police def- Departments couldn't keep up, and they just—they were hiring any and everybody. Yeah, they ended up hiring these uh, Cubans that ended up uh, in patrol and on narcotics, and uh, they were two of them were traced back to Fidel's prisons. One, one of them for murder, and they killed these drug dealers for hundreds of pounds of cocaine on the Miami River and dumped them in the Miami River. There's a book out about it and everything else. They took the money and they resold the dope and stole their millions of dollars worth of revenue and everything else. These are cops. These are cops. (laughs) Yeah, there's probably a movie. Yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it's called Miami River Cops. But um, so anyway, that being said, I think it's safe to say, though, that wasn't the method the feds probably had in mind for encouraging diversity. (laughs) No, no. But it was just wasn't until later, finally, when they started looking into it, because everybody was claiming back then that. The police were robbing the drug dealers. The police right. were killing this and that. Yeah. And it wasn't uncommon for, and even today we hear about it every now and then, police raid jackets, somebody coming into a house or robbing or whatever. Right. Police, you know, that kind of thing. But it was legit. So the more they looked into it, the more it really was the cops. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's worse. That's, damn, I think they fired over like 100 or something police officers. And it just, it I was. I got to read into that. Yeah. That's crazy. It was, a, it was a complete interesting. It's definitely a made for TV movie. So all that made you want to be a cop yes <laughs> it, it it was strange but yes it was just like i wanted to go back to miami i wanted to be police um my uncle the lieutenant had re- had then retired so he got involved in some political stuff he was up for the chief of police and they ended up passing him over and, and stuff and and his son actually became a metro day police officer so he oh, had cool. political connections yeah. and so i wanted to go work with him and so um didn't happen they told me they couldn't hire me and so um I applied up in, uh, I wanted to go to Broward Sheriff's Department. So yeah. I, I was in the process for Brow- BSO, okay. yeah, Broward Sheriff's Department, which is you have Metro Dade, Miami, and then Bra- Broward County, Fort Lauderdale, all that. Okay. And so I went to Broward Sheriff's Department. I went to a place called Oakham Park, and I started applying farther out. 
And I was just in the process. Well, the guy I'd gone to college with said, why don't you try working back in Dodge City for a couple of years at Grand Prairie? Mm-hmm. And um, so my plan was to, uh, so I went and I took testing and applied for both departments. And literally, the reason I'm here is is, a f- is five minutes difference. So I was working, um, I was working, waiting to hear back from police departments. And I got a phone call. I was working uh, store security, TJ Maxx. And I got a phone call to go to the office and take this. And it was a guy named uh, Doug from recruiting, personnel recruiting. Mm-hmm. And um, he, um, you want to touch something? Just I got touch you. That, yeah. <laughs> and so he basically said, Hey, um, you're in the process. And, uh, you know, we want to do that. They didn't call it conditional job offer back then, but you're in the process. And, and if we can't find a way to fire you, then or basically over pass you over is the word they use. Yeah. If we can't find a reason to pass you over, then, you know, we want to hire you. And I'm like, okay, that's either positive or negative, but I'll go with it. Right. And so, and I had gone through the process. Hung the phone up, walked back out, got called back in, maybe f- about five minutes later, and Dodge City, Kansas called. Yeah. Hey, we want to hire you. I'm like, sorry, I already have a job. Yeah. I already took the job at Grand Prairie. Oh, shit. So the original plan was to come here for two years. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So I was going to come here for two years and make myself more marketable to law enforcement jobs. Uh, I had also applied for um, ATF and took their tests. And I was on a, a list that was gigantic. I did relatively right. well, but I couldn't even tell you how big the list yeah. was. Mm. And so I was either going to go that route or get two years here and then transfer and go look for jobs in South Miami. Maybe that time had passed and all this other stuff. Now, was that because you you, you had to draw towards the, the more – because at the time, Grand Prairie is a lot more rural. But right. were, were you more drawn towards the big city type of thing or you just wanted to be back in, in South Florida? Both. Okay. So that's what I knew. I was uh, I grew up a city kid, if you will, and uh, I knew the area, liked the area, and that's where I kind of, um, you know, like I said, my uncle retired, but then his son and friends and stuff, and that's where the influence was. Yeah. I knew a lot of guys that he worked with, and that's where the draw was. And I also liked that big city mm-hmm. uh, police work, right? Uh, having being around them, and then uh, so I came to, when I came to take the test here. We were very rural. Right. Um, in fact, I stayed in Arlington and I exited the ho- off Carrier Parkway the wrong way and I went south and ran out of road. I hit Polo Road and there was nothing there. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I, and, and I had a fold out map. So, I mean, there right. was no GPS. There was no, yeah. and, and luckily I left a lot earlier to come up here. And I don't know if it's where this sits, but there was a uh, community center that they gave the testing at and down in the basement. And I was freaking out, man. I drove the whole way carrier and, and, uh, but yeah, it was, there was nothing South of Polo road. There was Trailwood, but you know, that little neighborhood, but past that there wasn't a whole lot down there. Back in the you know eighty nine, which is crazy because now you mean it's it's hotels and, and yeah. apartments. And oh yeah, retail. It's yeah, absolutely crazy. It's I, insane. I was gonna say we stretched to two eighty seven now. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We have out down there two eighty seven three sixty. Yeah, yeah. Next the next ten years. I mean, what you've seen so far has been crazy, but the next ten years here is going to be unbelievable. We've doubled in size since I started working here, and yeah, it's wow. it's and we're I think we're even projected for and. and it's not a full quote, but like 40 more thousand people live in South or something Golly. like that. It's, I could see it. Um, they're building apartment complexes yeah. left and right. Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever. But yeah. 
So I can see those numbers. And then that 287 stretch. So GP owns about five miles of 287. And so that's how you cross over. And we're going to service some of those communities down there. It's scary. Scary. Yeah, definitely the uh, manpower disbursement plan will change. Yeah. Without a doubt. I was going to say, I could see like a substation, quote unquote, coming up, you know, south, probably in 44 beat. It real oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's been talked about even. Yeah. And that's why the current stations where it has, because even then it was projected wrong. We oh. had actually was supposed to be farther south, but we obtained the property. Oh, gotcha. And uh, yeah. so then that was actually, it was to be more central, mm-hmm. but it wasn't far off. So it was like, that's how we, you know, they came about that. But it was a good piece of land. And then never in my beginning career, even in my mid-career, did I ever anticipate the building we have now. Yeah. Oh now, no, it's crazy. Yeah. The uh, so when I came in, you know, the old eight hundred one is right. what you hear. Yeah, Conover. Conover. Eight hundred one Conover. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was it was quite interesting, and it was a, a lot of good times. It was a it's 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 a pretty close knit department as it stands, mm-hmm. but it was more so back then. Oh, I'm sure. But oh, you yeah, didn't yeah. have the amount of officers we have. You didn't no. have, you know, we it was different. We had um, three shifts, so you had eight hour shifts. Right. And you were kind of always passing somebody. Yeah. So when day shift was getting off, evening shift was coming on, and you right. were passing people. Yeah. Although your days off varied, and then at nights you do the same thing. So you're always kind of passing people. Yeah. So you would get to know people, and it was it wasn't as large. And and uh, by design, I think we've lost a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's what we needed to do with the manpower and a better disbursement. It's you know with the amount of people, amount of officers we have. Yeah. So. Kind of finish up a little bit. So I came on in um, uh, January of 90, hired in 89, came on January of 90, went to the police academy. And um, when I got out of the academy. Now I want to stop. I want to ask you real quick. How long was the academy when you started? Two, three weeks. Um, no, I, I'm sorry. Are you being sarcastic? I was like, damn. <laughs> I think it was, it was, so I think uh, four months. Okay. Yeah. I think it was four months. Yeah. Uh, it didn't. Uh, it seemed like forever yeah. <laughs> when I was there. Sure. Uh, and we had, st- uh, when I came through, it was still the more paramilitaristic. Yeah. Right. Um, you wore, uh, we didn't have like academy uniforms. I went to a regional academy. So I was there with Carrollton Mesquite, mm-hmm. uh, a bunch of different departments. And you wore dress pants and a, and a nice dress shirt every day. And Fridays you wore a suit and tie. And you got up. And we had two flights of PT. One would, the first half of the class went out and did their PT, and then the other half was in the weight room, and then they flopped us. Mm-hmm. And there was no, you know, we did 12-hour days before they were a thing. Oh, and right. there was no, hey, I've been here longer than eight hours, I put in for overtime. Yeah, it was none of that. There was no, no <laughs> how am I being compensated for my time? It's like, you, uh, you got a paycheck every other, you know, Friday, so, Damn, or actually right. it was on the f- 1st and the 15th. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember those. Things. Yeah, and so it's like, did your pay show up in your you know account, or we did we hand you a check? Yes, sir. Then yeah. carry on. Yeah. And so, uh, but then I was in patrol for you know, and then uh, became a field training officer. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to kind of paint the picture a little bit because a lot of a lot of people realize how much uh, the world has changed over the course of the past you know fifty sixty years, right. um, but. One thing with law enforcement is by necessity where if a department's doing it right, we're always trying to advance, especially technologically speaking. And 
like if you look at our cell phones, for instance, and the way they impact our daily lives, even just 20 years ago, mm-hmm. our lives looked a lot different than they do now just because of you know the advent of, of smartphones. But in our profession, technology has just impacted every single aspect. So a lot of people kind of take for granted, like cops and civilians take for granted some of what they see law enforcement have today. So when you started, um, you know, day one on the street, day one FTO, what were you looking at? Like, like what was your car? What, what technology did you have or not have? So we had the uh, Chevy Caprice. Okay. And we still had carburetors. And the cool thing um, <laughs> was to take the air cleaner and flip it over so it was louder, so it sounded like a real muscle car. Uh, but <laughs> And uh, we got in the car, and you had bucket bent seats. Okay. And in training, you had well, – like uh, we were talking about – or I've said to others is you had to wear your seatbelt because the – the pleather seat, if you made the corner too quick, you would slide over to the passenger side. Right. <laughs> so you had to wear the seat belt and your training officers over there. And all we had was a, a radio and the couple of my FTOs had uh, CBs. And the radio had three channels. It was ABC, CB being? Uh, system band radio. The okay. um, Like truckers? Yeah, like truckers. Yeah. Gotcha. Dude, the fact you two looked at me when I said CB hurts my feelings a little bit, but I'll get over it. I mean, again, Katie did the intro. I was going to hurt your feelings way oh, worse. Okay. I'm okay with it. So, if, so, um, so, you do, so to me, and, and me being the, the the very young, sprightly yeah. young gentleman that I am, I'm super. It, it cracks me up to think that the idea of sliding across a squad car mm-hmm. isn't possible because you have, a when you sit in a squad car, you have an entire console. Between you and the, the, the pastor side that you know has your light system, has your computer, ha- all, all the different things of lock rifles and release stuff in the back, you had none of that. No, we it just had just- the radio, and under that was the control panel for the overheads. And you know how now if you leave like a, a light on or something, it beeps. Right. The only way you knew your overheads are on was you hear the, the little motor, the little motors the- to turning the overhead lights. <laughs> That's funny. God. And so. Um, and that was it. And that's all you had. And you didn't hit the horn like we do now to change the pitch. You reached down and you pressed a button and you kind of had to do it leaning over. Uh-huh. If you want to change the pitch or don't mess with it because you could crash. Yeah. And it was right there on the, on the hump and the, or, you know, the center and hump. And that was about it. Jeez. You know, we have the squad cars we have now have 14,000 LEDs on them. And I hate being on the freeway mm-hmm. uh, just from getting hit by, you know, drunk drivers or whatever. I can't. Yeah. I cannot imagine having been up there with those little rotary lights. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. Now, I didn't have the bubble, so I guess you can look back in the history of Grand Prairie, and they have the single bubble light in the middle. And Right. No, I actually had a, a oval-style light bar that went across, and yeah, that's it. Dang. No deck lights. Flashers. We turn on emergency flashers, if that helps. Um, <laughs> do, y'all have, do y'all have cages in the car? Um, yes. Okay. We did have cages. In fact... Uh, coming from other like the Dallas and them didn't have cages, but we did. Well, yeah, I don't remember not having them. So I, I, I would say, yeah, we had. Okay. Them. I was going to say I remember when every car didn't have cages, and so you would put your suspect in the front, front. yeah, passenger seat, and yeah. it's like, look, bro, it's just me and you. Just sit back and. I'm pretty sure there's some places you still do that. Like, yeah, some big places you still do that. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. And, and then, just for our civilian listeners, the cages you probably know, but. Is the partition between the back seat and the front seat? So, yeah. that, especially when uh, you know departments run one man or they have one officer per vehicle, yeah. you can put the person back there and be relatively you know safe from being assaulted or anything. Um, 
as opposed to if you have two people in no cage, you can, someone can hop in the backseat and, and whatnot. But yeah, and, and I believe in, in fact, the word cage, if you will, it's not a cage, it's just a partition, yeah. right. like you said. But the original dividers were actually the, the mesh, yeah, is what they came up with originally. Oh, okay, dividers that's where the word that's where that came from. Gotcha, because that's why I call them cage. We don't put people in cages. I mean, no, yeah. I guess it does sound non PC, but yeah, definitely not a cage. It's one of those. And I can't old believe school. I even did that because normally I don't care about. I'm proud of you. I, I told you. I you said I don't have a filter. Doing this whole podcast experiment has made me realize that I I can go an extended period of time without cursing, and wow. you apparently can be PC. So I, I think this really brings out the best in all of us. No, I like to thank everybody for listening today. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. No, Man. I remember riding in the. Uh, it was a dually, and so it was one, two, four officers in yeah. a dually. And then we put the suspect in the back, in the middle, you know, no partition. Yeah. And we're just talking to him all the way to jail. Oh, man, good times. Good times. So what what was FTO like for you? Do you remember how long it was? or It was um, different. It was very different. Because you're, you're, just for everybody to know, you're an FTO today. Today. I am currently yeah. an FTO. So you have said. 33 years as a cop, and, and you're currently having to train my generation. Oh, I guess the one after me. Yeah. So yeah, his, uh, I, in fact, I inappropriately told a joke to one that, uh, his parents weren't even dating when I started as a cop. Wow. <laughs> he was, they were 22 years old. Yeah. And so you stop and think, yeah, his, his parents were babies when uh, I was a cop, when I started. But, um, so I, yes, I'm currently a field training officer. And back then it was, um, you actually, it was good. It was different. Mm-hmm. You learned a lot, but you had to pay attention because, um, like, like we joke about, you know, the PC of things is, um, we're paying you the money. We put a, a gun and a badge on you. You make good decisions. And so you better keep up. Mm-hmm. Right. You better keep up to our standard. And a lot of times you hear too, um, we talk about the culture of Grand Prairie and, and we can get into this. I don't know how much time we have, but we can get this a little bit later, but, the culture wasn't is not actually in this city is not actually a new phenomena. Mm-hmm. Right. When I came, uh, it was already in place. When I was in the academy, we went through defensive tactics, and I had um, Duncanville, Arlington Sergeant, Duncanville Sergeant, I think a Richardson officer, and we went through def- defensive tactics in the academy. And they're like, "Well, where are you from? Where are you from? Why well, work?" I was the only grandpa officer to go to my police academy. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, or from Grand Prairie at that time, and they said, oh, don't worry about it. When you get back to your city, you'll learn how to be a cop. Like, I said, like, what's that? And they said, no, Grand Prairie knows how to be cops. That's cool. The stuff we're teaching is generic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He said, they're going to show you how really cop, how cop work is done in Grand Prairie. So that culture was imprinted. Other departments knew that. Right. And they said, oh, you're Grand Prairie officer. Well, you're going to learn how to be a real cop. That's awesome. When you get back to your department. And when I graduated, I went through a four-week in-service of. You only had two of those left. Do I, is that it? Okay. I bumped the mic. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, we went through a four weekend service transition of redoing all that stuff, uh, the riot training, right. the things of that nature when I graduated the police academy. So you're still being trained, but then you hit field training and, um, a lot of learning, mm-hmm. uh, very little, very little, um, not the word coddling, but very little. It's like you got to keep up. Well, I was going to say, I was trained uh, by, I guess your generation, maybe a little bit, a little bit younger, but 
it was very much they recognized that you did not learn everything you need to know in the academy. Yes. They knew that. Yeah. However, when you clear detail, they expected you to. <laughs> and it was not it, it was honestly in hindsight at a time at the time I, I took some pride in I guess basically getting treated poorly during the training process. But in hindsight it's probably not the not the most conducive if your goal is to produce a really quality younger officer. Mm -hmm. But also the FTO's approach back then was more, at least my experience was more, if you can survive me, like as a trainer, if you can make it through my phase of training, it was almost like a, I'm going to see if I could get you to quit kind of thing. Um, no, you, you're spot on. I think when we came through, it was like that. Cause it wasn't just you. It was me too. It was like, you know what? I'm gonna be a hard ass, but you'll appreciate it. And you'll see it later. Yeah. Um, when, when I got out of the academy, it was, hey, congratulations, everything you learned, throw it out the window. Yeah. Here's how you log on. When you hit that log on button, we're live. My first call out of the, uh, out of the box, right down the street, robber in progress. And it was like, holy crap. So, yeah, yeah you kind of pucker up a little bit because that was the mentality. And, and so to make you guys feel better, mm -hmm. that was actually – so that was the same mentality. That's kind of where in that yeah. field training, it was tough. Yeah. yeah. They were tough on you. And the the mantra back then, and even in the academy, was was quite tough. And they said, this is a controlled environment. Now, field training's not. It, you're out on the street. But mm. this is a relatively controlled environment. And if you can survive this or you can learn from this and you can toughen up, if you will, mm -hmm. the public is nothing because the public doesn't care about you. And right. that's, that's kind of what they projected is you're here to perform a service. Mm -hmm. The bad guys are out here to get over on us. Mm -hmm. Right. They're training and you're training. Whose training is going to win? Mm -hmm. and, and that's how we were taught is the bad guys learning your tactics. The bad guys learning how you got, we trained the bad guys out there per, uh, perfecting their craft. Right. Are you determined enough to perfect yours? Right. And, and that's the kind of the mantra of training. And it's similar to you guys probably with uh, come from a larger agency. You know, I was trained by Vietnam veterans, mm -hmm. you know, those right. guys that had been to war had been to, uh, conditions that were less than favorable, yeah. you know, and they were some good, tough individuals, but yeah. probably some of the most later on, I didn't think at the time, compassionate, right. caring individuals I have ever met to this day, yep. uh, that they really cared about su your success, but yet they were not going to cut corners to get it out of you. Mm -hmm. They would push and drive and make you, you know, learn things and do things and see things because, um, you know, we talk about stories. I, I've got stories in all games, good, bad, and different, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you're going to see things in this job. It's just, it's just, it is what it is. It's, it's, it's not pretty some days, right? This job can suck some days, mm -hmm. you know, it's not all TV and glamor. It's not all 30 minutes and the case is solved. This job really sucks some days yep. and for you to survive it. And even more so now when we have a better, uh, we're better paying attention to our, our mental health and things like that. Back then, that wasn't a thing. No. Um, that was basically to help you survive of how tough training really was. Right. And then there's some little fun ditties that, that came out of training. And and typically, you went through field training. Once you passed your field training, you really got a lot more of training guidance from senior officers. Mm -hmm. Because back then, it was, you don't call a sergeant for anything. Right. If you you talk to the senior officer first, mm -hmm. right? You, you don't immediately go, "Hey, Sarge, I don't understand," uh, because the only reply back you got was, "I'll trust you do the right thing." 
<laughs> it's like, mm. okay, so I'm never better off than I started. Yeah. Right. So that was basically. <laughs> I don't know if I'd do that if I were you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, I trust you to do everything. And I'm like, uh, um, in fact, I, I, I joke now, but uh, more recently I had a recruit and I had to call to kick in door. And I called an old school sergeant. He's like, I trust you to do the right thing. And I said, shut up and hung up. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, how much do you, do you see a change kind of in that mentality? Cause I, I also, I would say probably yeah. around the 15, 20 ish range, you'll see guys kind of have that mentality. Don't you call your sergeant? Like, no. Right. Um, yeah, it's, and it's, um, it's like anything else in police work. Cause we're talking, you know, uh, another officer, we talk about Officer Oscar. He started when dinosaurs ruined the earth. Right. I at least came along when a few of them had died off. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, I want to bring up actually, cause, and hopefully uh, maybe Oscar listens and will finally sit down with us. But, yeah. um, Oscar is number one in seniority on the entire department. Correct. And you're number two. And I'm number two. Yeah. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty scary. That's it's pretty awesome. <laughs> I'm gonna say awesome. awesome. That's okay. the adjective. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So, um, well, the thing that the thing that's scary for me is like, I, growing up, you always think like uh, old people are like in their own category, then there's mm-hmm. the rest of us or whatever. Like I sit down with JJ. I mean, he and I have hung out yeah, outside of work as well, and it, I, re- I really like you and you're cool, but you know you're old, so it makes me feel old that we get along so well. So if uh, Katie, if, if it, <laughs> he swore he was going to slide the word old in, yeah. oh he did, he, yeah. yeah. So he's got it. So just put check that off his okay. list. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so you know that's that is actually one of the the, the things that I'm blessed with, uh, and why I mean with this department, yeah. And it's like anywhere else, and I'm not going to change. We'll get off on some other stuff, but but at the end of the day. Uh, where we're blessed and I felt blessed over 33 years is, uh, the ability for us to mesh as officers and employees, et cetera, of, yeah, some of the senior guys are not approachable or, or whatever. So, so they think, mm-hmm. but the reason I do FTO still is I have that little pulse of the younger officers. And they do have a connection. You have a connection to the officers you've trained. And I've trained probably several hundred. Mm. And you have that connection. So that pulse and that comfort with coming to the senior guys and building that bridge of, hey, we have this valuable experience. And we go back to you ask a senior officer before you went to a sergeant. Right. Uh, that drops off. And, and part of that may be generational. Part of it may be just the timing of it. Because we are so busy and sometimes we're not accessible, you know, just the other guys on your shift. Yeah. And so, and how the shifts are divided up now. But so that was kind of the, you know, me coming up in police work. That was how it, uh, it was done. Mm-hmm. And so now it's, it's not so much. It's reached to the sergeant. And, uh, un, you know, another part of this equation is this is a messy business. With the uh, shows coming out like Cops and Live PD and everything else, uh, what has changed in my tenure is the public, back when I started, this was a um, more hands-on physical job. Mm. We didn't have the tools we have today. I've got more stuff on my belt mm. than ever. Uh, we before, had, you would have been, what, a radio and a pistol? And, a radio, and a gun, well... Uh, a baton. Well, we had the big batons. We right. had mm-hmm. the old school. You had the PR twenty fours, the ones with well, the handles. I did. 
Okay. Man, I thought I was top notch. <laughs> yeah. I so a lot of them were just straight sticks, but right. I I had a PR twenty four. It was brand. It was new coming out. So anybody that doesn't know it, PR twenty four, you can Google it. It's an old school. <clears throat> sorry, I use the word again. It's a it's a oh, vintage it's a vintage piece of police equipment. <laughs> oh, that's not even better. <laughs> Katie, how's that? How's that better? Yeah, you just him after this. It's not better. Classic. Hey, wine, yeah, wine it's a good thing. I can uh, I can I can wear vintage plates now. <laughs> uh, but it's it's a it's a, it's a baton. It's a it's a long mm-hmm. um, stick handle. basically, but it has yeah. a a handle is, I don't know, probably, you know, six inches or so. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can hold it in a variety of positions, use it for a variety of things. Um, but just, just for some perspective, my dad had one and I yeah. used to play with it when I was growing up like a little, like a little rifle. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. You can do that. I, I didn't, I carried it. Thank you very much. Right. Um, so you were that young and, uh, but yeah, so the equipment itself alone has, has gone volumes even for what we had, yeah. but you also look at society in a way it's changed over the years. And good, bad, and different. We can get off on a whole bunch of uh, soapboxes and things of that nature, but it was just different. Yeah, you know, yeah. we had a different, you know, s- level of understanding from society. And I would even l- kind of throw back at you a little bit, um, those listening of the the crooks. There's always going to be bad people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's True. and, and yeah. we get off religion and the devil and everything else, but. Bad people, there's just truly, truly bad people. And, and, and I've come across several in my career. And you, those that are that, uh, not the truly deep seated bad, bad people, but they're, they're, they're criminals out doing bad things to good people. Mm. And there is almost a strange code when I came up in the nineties of, uh, their job was to be criminals and our job was to catch them. Right. Yeah. And yes, they ran and things, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't, uh, it's when we caught you, okay, you're caught. Right. You know, and with the advent of um, things of, and yes, across the country, there's things that have, that happened like the Rodney Kings and like I talked about the Miami riots and things like that. But anyway, um, so that in police work is, has, has given a fundamental shift, but it's also generational. Mm-hmm. And the and what I mean by that is, uh, the public when it started looking at the way we did things, right. but I'm not going to defend, right? You know, now we're our own worst enemies, and at times we are. Yeah, um, we've been blessed in this department and in departments across the nation, and that I know people from a variety of departments, different states. Cops are good people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cops' hearts are great. We work hard. We want. You know, the public to be, you know, and, and people say, oh, yeah, you're working in the public and everything else. That's the true. When you get down to the heart of a police officer, it's it's they're good, good people and service and service oriented. Mm-hmm. And that is the true mantra of it. And society is a shift. And so it's becoming harder. And I had a hard time transitioning when I was training. So. Uh, like I was talking before, if I can digress for just a few minutes, I, first couple of years, so I did about five years, and then I had an opportunity to go into a criminal street gang unit. Mm. And back in the mid-90s, street gangs across the Metroplex exploded. Now, I get the L.A. and all that. They had filtered in, and the ones from New York and Chicago all had filtered down to the south because of the drug market and everything. Okay. And bringing it up through the the south and across the nation – DFW, Texas, whatever became a hub because you look at how it spreads out. Right. right. And so it's the highway, highway system or whatnot. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And so, you know, street gangs and in, in our local home gangs and everything else were exploding. Mm -hmm. So we had a we had to form a five man uh, gang unit, and we went out and attacked gang crime, and, and we um, worked everything from graffiti to murder. And one year, our unit worked eleven gang homicides in Grand Prairie. In Grand Prairie, wow. And so, um, and it was connected to a bunch of you know Lebeter Twelve and, and you know all that stuff out of Dallas also, but. We had our own homegrown gangs, and right. the nation was exploding with gang violence. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about the parenting. We can talk about different things, and I can, you know, we can have ten podcasts on, you know, <laughs> how, uh, you know, the, the breakdown of the family, the father's homes, and that, and, and and but there's a lot of success too, right? Because back when I was younger, I came from a broken home, so uh, I don't know if I'm a success, but it it at least appears that way, at least somewhat, and so. You can have that, but it's all with societal and so forth. So I did probably about seven years in a a um, street gang unit, mm -hmm. and by then the big switch was to get off. Uh, I had gotten on SWAT, and um, because of the call-out nature of it, they a lot of detectives, and I was a detective in the gang unit, they moved us off of SWAT because of the conflicting. We may be out right. uh, investigating a homicide, we got a call out SWAT because this has been a shooting, and I worked a, a 13-year-old girl shot in the head um, or shot off of a gang party and called out SWAT to run the warrant to an arrest warrant. Right. So now if I can't go. You, to, can't, you can't just, just put down drop, your yeah. – yeah, yeah. drop your investigation to pick up a rifle and go. Yeah. Right, and we were we were running the more net. So, right. so I was off that, and then uh, I was in the gang unit, and 2000 coming along, and – Departments and policing in general goes through trends and shifts. Mm -hmm. So back then, when gangs were starting, that we were starting to get our foothold in gangs across the country. We were starting to basically um, learn about them, break them up, really have an effect on their gang on the gangs. Uh, and and you you want to go all the way back to the Salvadorian Marsal with Truchas, and you know we had a, a MS thirteen MS thirteen. And uh, we had uh, Brenda de la Paz, which I can say that name because there's a History Channel special. Um, they were MS-13 was committing crimes in Grand Prairie. That was traced back, and she was basically given information on it. Then you had school shootings. Mm -hmm. the The first version of right. Then you had Columbine. Right. Then you had Paducah. Then you had other school shootings. So law enforcement had to adapt. Correct. They had to come back in and say, "Okay, we focused all our attention on this. Now we've got to focus on this." Mm -hmm. Uh, in Grand Prairie, we transitioned. We we got uh, Class One horse track. We had gambling throughout the city, and we increased our vice unit. And what basically the vice unit is is your sins, if you will. Mm -hmm. So alcohol, gambling, prostitution, mm -hmm. you know those type of things. Yeah. And uh, so then I transitioned into that unit for another eight years, and so we were again a street unit going out here addressing those problems, addressing the prostitution problem, addressing. Uh, things that were left untidied with, um, you know, just wouldn't address because the manpower in and of itself in law enforcement, it's the focus of manpower. And we would move people around and you try to do the best you can. Because yeah, it's, it's a balancing act. I mean, you absolutely you, on the one hand, yeah. you have an increase in populations like what we're seeing now. you got to have people in patrol to respond to emergency calls. calls. But the, the consequence of that is. Well, yes, you are responding to, the, to those emergency calls. A lot of them are, one, are, are non-emergency, and two, emergency and non-emergency alike are generating 
excuse me, generating reports. Reports don't just go into the ether. They have to go to detectives mm-hmm. who then investigate them. So you can beef up patrol if you need to, which, you know, should obviously be, you know, when people pick up the phone, they got to know someone's coming. Sure. Um, but yeah, you have to also balance that with once we take that report, we have to investigate it or, you know, do your proactive investigations like you did with, you know, vice and, and gang and whatnot. Right. Um, yeah. it's not the easiest thing in the world because you can't, you know, their money is not unlimited. You can't just, you have to, to pay enough to, to attract people who are qualified mm-hmm. and, um, who wouldn't just go somewhere else for more money. But then also you have to, uh, you know, take into account, you don't have all the money in the world. So you can't say, Hey, we're going to hire 500 officers and, you know, not use a hundred of them. You, you have to make do with what you have sometimes. We were talking earlier about how, like, there's a disconnect between maybe a veteran officer and, you know, some of the young guys. Mm-hmm. And this is just my opinion and my experience, but I didn't mind working with a veteran officer as long as he or she was doing exactly what the rest of us was doing, answering yeah. calls, you know, traffic stops, going to jail. Where I came from, there were guys that haven't been to jail in two years. Yeah. And I'm just kind of like, okay, how is this system set up? And that's where I think some of the animosity between us young go-getting officers versus somebody that was a veteran. It was like, man, this this officer, he's or she's over here skating. Like, they're not doing nothing. We're Hell, we're all making, you know, about the same amount of money. But yet I'm busting my butt and I'm going to jail. And so you can start to see the resentment. Like, no, I don't want to talk to them. I don't, I don't like them. So, you know, I actually have a thought on that. And the because I kind of I used to feel the same way. But what I've realized is that that's not exclusive to veteran officers. You have True. the exact same thing in uh, your younger generation. Lazy. The difference is that person that's, that's younger, you give them 30 years to figure out how not to do their job or how to avoid it, they're just going to be better at it. Right. Um, which, again, I think we do a really, really, really good job here for the most part of, of, of kind of weeding that out and, and putting a spotlight on it. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, that's all. That was all I was gonna. So, I mean, that's it, it's all. It all plays into it, mm-hmm. um, and, and I agree with you. Um, now, defending this old people, thank you, Nate. Um, <laughs> you, you don't see. There has been moments in this department where you have abs, ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. You have stagnation, and, and what people don't realize is, and you guys do because you've been in this business a long time, is. The departments are perfect. Right. There's the human condition is not perfect. Absolutely. Um, but the one mantra that, that I'm proud of about our department is, you know, we don't strive for perfection because that's an, an, a not attainable goal, but we, we strive for excellence. Mm-hmm. Yep. And because of that, um, there's a component that I don't see. Um, a lot of even senior guys sloughing off the calls. Mm-hmm. We, you, you can't blend here. We just talked actually, yeah. um, and these will probably get published out of order, but we just talked to uh, my supervisor, my direct supervisor, and he was telling a story. Hell, it could have been you for all I know. Uh, he was telling a, a story about an officer who basically had, he saw him patrol yesterday and had the opportunity to not do the job, who by the letter of the law and the rules, had he not done more, done what he did, wouldn't have been breaking any rules, but still based on personal conviction kind of took a step further and, mm-hmm. you know, and did his job exceptionally. So now I completely agree. Yeah. The, the culture here is totally different. Um, I, I love it. You know, I, again, 
if you're here, you can't complain because you have it. We have it made here. But uh, to piggyback on that story. So, yeah, you have the officer where it's like, ah, you know what? Mm, I'm going to go ahead and uh, end this call. I'm going to check out. Sweetie, you're fine and can go home. And that's okay. But this officer chose to put what he or she had to do personal um, life-wise beside and go, hey, let me ask a few more questions. Aha, I figured it out. Yeah, you're going to have to, we got to do some things that's going to cause me to be late, you know, and not be able to do whatever it was that I had to, you know, going on outside of work. But those are just things that we see every single day. It's, it's still crazy how I come in here and I hear these stories from officers about other people being great recruiters for Grand Prairie. Like somebody told you, hey, you probably want to check out Grand Prairie. Right. That is crazy. You're, you're in, you know, opposite ends of America and somebody's going, hey, man, you probably want to check out Grand Prairie. That, that's absurd. But, you know, not absurd, but that's crazy. And here again, we hear it from another veteran officer. Yeah. You know, and hell, you're in different parts of America and they're going, no, check out this place. So I don't know. And representing the old veteran, thank you. Yeah. Uh, God. I'm sorry I said old. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to offend me. It's cool. <laughs> um, I'm just messing with you. Uh, but, um, the, you know, the park under tree and read a newspaper, which didn't even exist, I don't think, anymore. But um, that's not been the mantra of Grand Prairie yeah. in my experience. Yeah. And so at, at, when I hit my 20-year mark, I came out of CID. It was time for a change. And, and I've been back in patrol for 13 years. And... That's not how we have operated. And you talk about the culture, like I said early on, that was imprinted and that was the expectation. It wasn't just a culture. That was the expectation. Yeah. And when I was a brand new officer, I got called in at deep nights. My lieutenant sent me down and he, he said, we do this, this, and this in Grand Prairie. And if you have a problem with that, I'm okay with you quitting right now. Yeah. And I was told because if you don't do these things and this is what's expected of a Grand Prairie officer, mm-hmm. then you're going to be gone anyway. Yeah. yeah. So save yourself and us the time, and, and I'm sitting here. Wait, I have I have made it through FTO, I have made it through police academy. <laughs> like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was like, wait, yeah. man, I've kind of showed a little bit of what you yeah. know I'm made of, and I've been out here on the street. And you, I'm like, did I do something? And he goes, no, but I don't want any gray area. Yeah, yeah. and I'm like, uh, I respect that. Copy. I'm good, LT. Y- yeah. So and then hell, fast forward, I come over here and I get pulled aside by another officer that kind of did mm-hmm. the same thing. Katie, look, uh, I see that you're not doing X, Y, Z. And I had enough respect for this officer. And I was like, bro, I appreciate you letting me know. You know, because he knew where I come from and how we operated over there. And I'm letting people go on single warrants. And I'm yeah. like, nope, I'm going to find some some crack or this felony. He was like, ah, work in this area. Let's let's get to jail, bro. Yeah. So, you know, I appreciate that because it, it outlined, hey, no, this is how we do things here. So, you know, I, I tell them, I tell the youngsters all the time. Come to Grand Prairie if you want to work. Right. You know, you're going to have free time or quote unquote downtime like every other city. But I guarantee you here, you just expected to shake a bush, go go shake something up and get into something. Yeah. And you're going to be fine. Yeah. It goes into to too like when when guys talk about wanting to come over that, you know, we know. And it's like if I don't know you, I'm not going to I'm not going to vouch for you <laughs> because I know or even I know you about don't necessarily know how you work. Yeah. There like you, go. you want to do a ride along, you know, give me a call. I'll, I'll do everything I can to, to you know, get you in a seat and, and get you where you need to be. Mm-hmm. But like, if I don't know for sure that you're going to show up, cause we have had people and I honestly don't think any of them work here anymore, but we have had people show up from other cities and think they just got to kind of coast and just collect a bigger check. It's not the way it is. Mm-hmm. And, um, if, 
God forbid, if I, if I put my name out there for somebody and they show up and do that, I would get just every time a case of theirs came across our desk, I would just get all kinds of hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Um, I tell people all the time, number one, don't come over here for the money. Uh, it's service oriented. Come over here because you love the job. The money is just going to be a cherry on top. Everybody wants to be paid. I don't know of one freaking officer that's going to come to work for free. Yeah, I'll still wait on that one. Um, but number two, the culture is good. It's different. Um, so I'm, I'm going to plug this real quick. Um, make sure you get online. Get the information out there. Uh, GrandPrairiePolice.org. Um, if you're interested in the next test, we just recently had one. Uh, check that website. We'll be putting that information out there so that you know when the next test is. Also, read the physical part. Uh, the physical test, I know there's a mile and a half, some sit-ups, push-ups, things of that nature. It's on the website. Um, if you have any questions, the recruiter's information is also on there. You can email them, call them, and they'll knock that out. Uh, I did. I wanted to, to go back just a little bit with you. Um, like I said, one of, the, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is to kind of look at, kind of compare and contrast where, where we've, we started and where, where we're at now. Uh, you mentioned you were in the gang unit and there was this explosion of, of gang related issues that came up. And then you mentioned that while in that unit, you're, con- you're a t- detective and you're doing detective type work. Well, I guess, first of all, what year ranges was that? And, and two, how does being a detective in on that street level look whenever, you know, obviously the technologically it's, we don't have, you know, if we want to find a gangbanger today, you can literally get on Instagram and search a hashtag. Right. Because these, <laughs> these literal gangbangers, like people who, yeah. who are out there selling drugs, jacking cars, killing people, have special no handles media. on their Instagram. Yep. And you can literally find every gang-related photo. You know, that's almost not detective work. But how did it look for y'all to have to kind of shake the trees and figure it out? So, <clears throat> it, it, so a lot of it was getting out, talking to people, mm-hmm. building rapport, doing – the style of police work that um, may or may not be frowned upon by today's standards. But what I mean by that is um, you build a rapport, even with criminals, mm-hmm. you look at them in it as this can be my greatest asset, because if I want to know how, what criminals are doing, you got to talk to criminals. Mm-hmm. Uh, there isn't no, there was not a computer. There was not that. So you, uh, when you came across one of your gang bangers and he had a crack pipe or something, you build those rapports, or if you had a group of them kind of sitting on the curb and you come across them, and it used to be when our unit showed up, if patrol had stopped them, we would come over and we'd take over. And when we pulled up, their heads would dip down like, ah, right. Because yeah. we told them, that's patrol. And they're, they're, they knew, like I said, they're training, you're training. They knew if they could frustrate patrol officers, and, and they try this nowadays, and it's, it's pretty recognizable. If they could frustrate you, You've got a radio barking in your ear. You've got calls holding. You've got stuff right. going on. You don't have time to mess with. Right. And mess with is my word. But you don't have time to go through, do mm-hmm. the digging. Yeah. We did. Right. We will sit here all day. I will go to your school. I will talk to your school resource officer. I will sit with you in class. I will do whatever it takes to try to get that rapport and talk to your friends. But you also knew if I sit there and embarrass you in front of your other gangbanger buddies, your homies and all this, mm-hmm. we're done. Mm-hmm. So you didn't. If you had somebody and you pull them off t- offline, you talk to them, you touch later, 
You come up to him when he's out with just one or two of his guys. Call him, hey, man, what are you doing, man? What do you got going on, man? What do you right. got in your pockets? You don't embarrass them because if you embarrass them, we're done. Right. You're shut down. Yeah. That word spreads quick. Yeah. And you didn't lie to them. You, you bluffed them, but you didn't lie to them. Hmm. What I mean by that is. Yeah, a lot of people probably find that surprising. Yeah, you, you, you don't because they know who's full of it. Right. And they knew right away. I'll give you a quick example is I had a guy who uh, and and people who've been in the Metroplex know about the Irving Mall shooting back when at 183 and Beltline, Irving Mall was a booming mall. Mm -hmm. And and one of the reasons I remember the guy's name is so a guy named Kevin Bacon had his two daughters and they were in the food court eating their Chick-fil-A or whatever. And two rival gangs were across the food court, Uh, Midnight Dreamers and uh, another gang. And I don't remember what it was. And so they're doing the what's up. They're challenging each other. One guy pulls out a gun, shoots across the food court, hits Kevin, and kills him for his daughter. Jeez. Explosion through the Metroplex. Right. Dallas comes in and assists, swift and, and dirty, because Midnight was a Dallas gang. Three of the top leaders, uh, two of them go to jail. The third one moves to Grand Prairie. And so why not? I mean, you know, yeah. it's not it's, it's not the kid. Jeez. It's where you live. It's his friends. Right. Yeah. And so uh, subsequently built the largest gang in the city's history of 600 members of Midnight Dreamers. And so um, the leader of it was a guy named Big Hap. I was working a homicide, and his name kept popping up. And back then, cell phones were, were you know, when I was in patrol, we had bag phones, and you can Google that. Mm-hmm. And, and they weren't so <laughs> readily. That long. Yeah. yeah. In fact, we got in uh, I'll offshoot real quick. Uh, we kind of got in trouble because you would go to Radio Shack, and that's another answer you can Google. Uh, <laughs> and you would buy the antennas, and you put them up behind the light bar. Well, the fast you drove, it vibrated, and it would come down. And we broke a couple windows, so we couldn't do those anymore. Uh, so you, you put it up, up behind a light bar, and then you to run it to your bag phone, and you could have this really cool center console phone and the whole thing. But um, So that being said, so I had my on my voicemail, we were working this homicide. I went into the office on my voicemail, was be happy. And he's like, officer, I didn't do it, but you and I need to meet. He goes, I know my name's coming up. Mm-hmm. And so I met with him and I got a hold of him, met with him. And I said, what's up? And he goes, man, he goes, you've always been cool with me. It's not just me. It was, it was all their officers too, but mm-hmm. you guys have always been cool. He goes, when I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I'm not wrong this time. I had nothing to do with this. I said, mm-hmm. fair enough. And so we worked that case for hours upon hours and, and ended up fi- ended up getting the, the shooter and, hmm. and killing that, that 13-year-old girl by accident. Well, they were at a gang party and gunplay and some over beer. So they had a kid in the backyard, and they shot up in the air. Oh, you want to play guns? We got guns. So they go out to the car, and they come back in and shoot towards the party. And it just so happened a 13-year-old girl and a girlfriend knew some other people at that party. They snuck out from Arlington, snuck out of their parents' house. She's leaving to get out of there because it was turning – Terrible, and uh, catches one right and kills her. Man. It's sad. It's very sad. But that's that's the gang violence. I tell you, what, I mean, we have come a long way. Yeah, because that, <clears throat> like the way you, you mentioned, like working eleven gang related homicides. Mm-hmm. Like I can't. Yeah, like <laughs> not where I'm driving around now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so back to your question is there wasn't, like you said, you can't log on and flock and all kinds of all this other stuff. It was beating the bushes, man. You mm-hmm. got, you build. Yeah. Figuratively. Figured, not physically right. attacking. It was getting out there and putting in the work and right. really kind of building the rapport. And 
you know, establishing a reputation as an officer, as a gang unit officer. And they understood that they were uh, gang members and their job was to be gang members and your job was to be police. Right. Uh, probably offshoot of that real quick is uh, one of the mo- couple of the guys who I chased around, if you will, or our unit chased around and was um, kind of stayed on them. Every time they turned around, we were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them, uh, there's several of them I've run across in their adult years. Mm-hmm. One of them is um, he's highly involved in youth. He's he's a Christian man. He's highly involved in youth. And we joke about when we would uh, stay on him, hound mm-hmm. him. Yeah. And uh, he jokes about that now. And he said, had you guys not done that, I yeah. would either be dead or in prison. Yeah. That's awesome. And then there's another real quick story. Uh, another kid that was a scrawny little kid and something about him. Uh, he was a little African-American kid. And we, we just hounded him. He, he was one of those guys that always wanted to be around, but kept getting beat up. And we're like, man, this is not for you. Yeah. And uh, so I was working an off to, or I was working at the Grand Prairie South Grand Prairie high football game. And this kid came, he was probably somewhere around six, two, six, three. And uh, he had come back from college, uh, our, he went to college on a track scholarship. Yeah. Oh, cool. And he goes, man, you remember me? And I go, no, man, I don't have any <laughs> clue who you are. I said, you're, uh, I don't know. He said, well, I wasn't to use his gang moniker. I go, there's no way. He goes, had you guys not hand, have you, had you guys not constantly hammered me, talk to my mom, talk to the people. He goes, I, I'd have never made it. Mm-hmm. So those are the stories that we like to, to nobody hears about. Right. Yeah. The cops do that every day. It's not just me. It's not my unit. Uh, it's not, it's you guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's those stories every day that police officers across this country, especially this department do mm-hmm. nobody hears about. Right. You know, we can tweet out, you know, officer such has changed a flat tire, but it's, and that's fine. And that's great because this whole thing is designed for the, um, look, look at the officer yeah. past the badge, if you will, or yeah. behind the badge. Yeah. Or whatever. Humanizing the badge. Yeah, thank you. Uh, that wasn't coming to my, my, my old brain. Um, so, but, uh, you know, I'm not insulted, but, um, so you look at that and that happens more so than not. There's more of us and even in patrol, you know, I've got hundreds of stories. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I can't imagine, you know, of officers that, you know, where I've handed somebody a $10 bill and, you know, down on their luck and said, you know, and, uh, I also teach at, um, often at the police academy when I can. And, um, what I like to do. So unfortunately you guys, I'm giving myself up on one of my little tactics. Um, is you have a room full of, uh, not so much the lateral, mm-hmm. but the brand new officers. And you go around and ask, what did you get police for? Oh, I want to help people. I want to help people. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, so you're telling me, and I'll repeat back. So you're telling me you want to help people. And I'm like, yeah, I said, okay. So when you pull over that car with an expired license plate and, smoke's coming out of the exhaust and you look in there and there's clothes laying around and there's food bags and they've got two kids in the back seat and you write them four tickets. Is that helpful? Right. And they just give you this blank stare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but wait a minute, you want to help person. You want to help people. You just destroyed this person's life right, right. with about $500. And I don't know the prices, but mm-hmm. you know, four or $500 worth of tickets is what is, what did you just accomplish? Right. Did you write a ticket? Cause you can write a ticket or were you helpful? Now, I'm not telling you, you know, and there's times mm-hmm. when it's necessary even so. I said, but uh, you really have to take it for what it's worth. And you really sometimes have to step out of this uniform and out of this job, and you understand that um, 
somebody's life or the way things are going in their lives, you may be that contact. You may be the guy, the camel that broke, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. Mm-hmm. You may send them in a complete fervor, and I have accidentally done that. And uh, I kind of did it on purpose, but I didn't know I was doing it. <laughs> so my, my point to that is I didn't realize this guy was about to go off on me. Right. And for just whatever I was doing as a, just an, an everyday that I do every day by just stopping him on traffic. And this guy went left and I had no idea, but I let him vent and I realized, okay, something in this guy's life, his whole world was crashing. Hmm. Um, and so, or you could be that one. Uh, I've also stopped somebody and uh, this male, if you will, and it says nothing to the male or female, but the guy was crying in control of me. Hmm. And I'm like, buddy, you okay? And he goes, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm really not. And I'm like, I, I don't know your story. I don't know who you are. I just stopped you for two of your three taillights are out. Your brake yeah. lights are out. And he could not gather himself. His, his world's crashing. So you may be um, that next contact. You may have, you know, we've got a lot of power in not just the arrest power, not just freedoms and restrictions and everything else, but, but just a simple contact and how we treat people out there. Mm-hmm. But that was imprinted in me when I was a rookie. That was imprinted on me that, you know, at the end of the day, there's, and I'm not talking about the, the deep, bad, bad people. Right. I'm talking about, you know, criminals too. There's a level of respect even mm-hmm. to, to treat people with respect. And that's what back to original question of the gang unit was we have a, we arrested gang members for jaywalking and things of that nature, but yet we didn't belittle them. Mm-hmm. We didn't berate them. Yeah, you don't have to. And, yeah. and you don't have to. And, yep. and, and I try to impart that upon um, officers that I train. And I had probably one of the best compliments in my career was uh, there was uh, a situation in jail where an officer was being less than cordial. They had brought in an arrested person and they were kind of, and I'm like, you know, and I kind of got in that officer's face a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I said, stop. So I don't know how your day's been going. I'll tell you, it's not, it's, it's my, this is, I'm here at eight o'clock at night mm-hmm. and I work seven, eight to seven P mm-hmm. that tells you how mine's going. Right. And it was a, a, a younger deep nights officer and, and he's actually a very good officer, but was having a day Yeah. and it was coming out on this arrestee and I intervened and the supervisor came back and he says, you need to do it like he does it. And I go, well, let's not, let's not get he nor she, sure. but they're, but they said, no, what I'm saying is you can take somebody to jail. You can throw them in jail or you can just take them to jail. Yeah. And it's all how you treat people. Mm -hmm. And I've had, you know, people say that, uh, and it's not just me. It's there's tons of officers out here in this department like me that, you know, I like to talk them into jail, Mm -hmm. but I I don't necessarily have to like this, but this is, you know, this is what has to happen. Mm -hmm. There's no negotiation. There's no whatever. And it's, we were talking about that earlier. People don't, I think with, with Brandon, we, uh, people don't realize a lot of times we're in situations where somebody has to go to jail and then we look at each other and we're like, ah, this sucks. I don't want to do this. Yeah. I'm like mm-hmm. they, they don't realize that Did we go through that. We, we go through that. And, and oftentimes we don't really have the liberty to show that. Like I can kind of verbally tell somebody like, look, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do this. I'd rather be yeah. home too. Like, but um, yeah, there, there's a lot of situations where it's just like, I'd rather it's not because you know, it's going to be a fight. Sometimes it's yeah. just because, 
you know, the you empathize with the situation. You're just like, right. I don't. This is not ideal. Uh, but I feel for you. But I ha- I am yeah. really really pinned in here. Yeah, I yeah. shall arrest. Yes, that's, that's what I was gonna say. The, the, the domestic situation. Yeah, yeah. Or, or crap. Okay. It's yeah. like I am pinned in. I I I am not picking sides. But you're right. I have no leeway here, buddy. Yeah. yeah. And so, it, but it's all how you're treated in the end. And uh, so so that kind of gives you the mantra of how I was taught as a young officer. And I, and I feel we're teaching that. Yeah. And I feel, uh, other FTOs do the same thing. Uh, and, and that's what's expected here is, you know, you're going to treat people with respect until they stop allowing you to do that. Right. Um, and so once that bridge is crossed, right. Then we will treat you accordingly. Right. Make no mistake. It's not, you know, at the end of the day, you have the police win. Mm. And I was taught um, early on in my career that you did we win. That's pretty much you go. You hear the old, the old things, you know, be safe, all this. Yeah. yeah. But I get it. And I agree with it. JJ, this is what I tell people. I'm going to treat you with respect. Even if I have to put my hands on you. Mm. Correct. And that's what I, I tell other officers that I tell that to the community because, like you said, nine times out of ten, hell, I done told you what to do two, three, four times. Now I got to show you what I want right. you to do. So, you know, we always say police work is not always pretty. And it's not. You know what I mean? It, sometimes it's not, oh, look at them. They, you know, doing this to that guy. Did you see the first 30 seconds? I begged him, actually pleaded with the guy. You know, sir, sit down and turn around, put your hands behind your back. You got to go for whatever reason. So, yeah, it's not always pretty, but. That's something that I just I always throw that out there, sir. Look, I'm if I have to put my hands on you, it'll be with respect, probably with a smile. I'm not mad. That's at the you. thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not, not personal. Yeah, I'm not. It's not it personal. Yeah. yeah, it's it's professional. Yeah. It's a job I have to do. Yeah, yeah. Shoot, man. Well, I, I I really appreciate you sitting down, not not just personally, but professionally too, because uh, well, a lot of people don't realize, especially our civilian guys is and girls, is that um, guys with your tenure, officers with your tenure don't do this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it generally is not looked at uh, in a good way. Uh, a lot of times it's kind of looked at as, Oh, this is just some gimmick for, you know, some younger officer to try to, you know, you know, become a, t- a Twitter officer and get off the street or, or, you know, what other, other accusations tend to, or they think it's, it's not real police work or whatever the case is. Yeah. So I appreciate you kind of stepping outside on very short notice too, by the way, stepping outside of, of what um, is kind of a lot of people's, comfort zone um because i'm I'm really optimistic about what we're doing because a lot of these stories you're talking about that nobody hears uh, there's a there's a some consistent themes in some of the shows we've done so far yep and i think with everyone we're gonna hear more of them and it's gonna guys like you who you're not gonna take a picture and post it on facebook and say oh look what i did that's just not you um but we facilitate the opportunity to sit down and have a conversation and then you get to kind of share some of what you've, you've done. I think I, I'm very optimistic. I think it's going to have a huge impact. Well, and I hope it does. And I appreciate you, you know, having us on. And, and it's the generational gap that, that's still there, although we're a very young department nowadays. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you guys are the old guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Not yet. <laughs> but, well, uh, but yeah, but it, it, it is comforting in the luxury we have at this department. I haven't even told you my, my uh, bag of change and tinfoil stories, but, um, now you guys can wait till later for those. <laughs> um, your dad will know that one. Um, but we, there's a consistent theme here. Yeah. There's, you know, we're going to do 
the right thing for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when it's not, some days we, we don't get it right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, like I said, you know, I was taught very on early on that, you know, some things don't always go as planned. Yeah. And, and that's okay. It's, it's okay. But the one thing that, that I was, was taught early and, and we've unfortunately recently seen this is, um, you don't lie about it. Yeah. Right. You know, integrity is, is not negotiable. Correct. Mm-hmm. And sometimes out here, I've walked away from a, a scenario, scene, whatever, and I'm like, man, that was probably not one of my better ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that did not come out very well. Right. But at the end of the day, you know, we're out here trying. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think we have good in this department is, you know, we talk about the culture with me before even me, is we have officers out here doing good jobs. Yeah. You know, and um, out here trying. Or some places, that's not so much. You know, it's a shine line. And what can I do to get in front of somebody else to get to look good to maybe move to that next level or move to the next unit or move right. to somewhere else? Yeah. Um, does that happen everywhere? But but that's not our overall mantra here. Our right. overall mantra here is you go out and do good, solid police work for the right reasons for the public. And and that's what our expectation is. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, well. Regardless, we sure, we sure appreciate you. Yes, sir. Not a problem. I'll be happy to come back. All right, guys. Till next time. Okay.